And so uh, let's open our text this morning, John chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. And uh, we will uh, we'll look at verses 19 through 29 and continue on in our study of the book of John, a series that we've called The Word, right? He is the eternal Word. God put on flesh and came down and dwelt among us. And so we have this beautiful gospel in front of us, and let's dig in once again. Um, <clears throat> over the last few weeks, uh, last couple weeks, and looking forward over the next few weeks, we're looking at some of Jesus' miracles, some of the amazing things that he has done, not merely pointing to his greatness and not merely pointing to his power, which they do, not merely pointing to his sovereignty over nature, his rule over nature and the laws of nature, but that these physical healings, these physical miracles, these things that happen in this physical realm are pointing to something deeper and eternal. We talked about that at length last week. Scholars, when they look at the book of John, they point to these as signs. Many scholars say that there are seven signs in the book of John that we need to pay attention to, and a sign does what? A sign points to something else, right? It's not just a miracle to point out his greatness, but these signs are pointing to eternal concepts, eternal truths that you and I should understand. Things about God and things about us and things about eternity in our eternal home. We looked at John chapter 2 and water into wine. It wasn't just about an embarrassed wedding host. Right, and a host who's, who's run out of wine and how embarrassing that would be if you were to host a wedding and to run out of wine for your guests. But this water coming from these purification jars, how Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament law and that purification would no longer come through washing rituals, but that purification is going to come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that his blood is going to wash us and cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, right, wasn't just about um, um, being born in a natural sense, but you must be born of spirit. You must be born again. Not a literal, literal womb, but you must be born of the spirit of God. John chapter 4, the woman at the well This woman comes with a thirst, and her thirst manifests itself in relationships, right? Five husbands, and the man that she is with right now is not her husband. She's unworthy, but Jesus offers her living water. He seeks her out in the noonday sun, offers her living water. She runs into the town, and she gives the testimony, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In the town, what do they do? They go on out. Crowds come out from the town to hear this man, to hear Jesus, to see what he's all about. He stays with them for two days, and they declare that he is the Savior of the world. Last week, we looked at the healing at the Pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals a man. He walks past this crowd. He seeks out this one man, and he says, do you want to be well? And the man says, sir, I have no one to bring me down into the water. When the water's stirred, everybody gets to the water before me. I've got no one to bring me to the water. And he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man rises. He heals him. He restores him. He makes him whole in that moment. 
He doesn't even know who he is. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. The Jews ask him, who told you? Why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? You know it's not right to carry your bed on the Sabbath. He says, the man who healed me, he told me to pick up my bed. He told me to walk. Jesus finds him later in the day, finds him in the temple, and he says, see, you are well. Now go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Right? We looked at that last week, that this wasn't a threat. This wasn't, hey, now if you don't shape up, I'm going to inflict you with this. But that sin no more, live and walk in the, in the restoration and the righteousness that I have to offer you because if you do not walk in me, there is something worse that may happen to you. You may lose your soul. I, I, I brought up that verse. What profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet lose his soul? What profit a man to gain use of his legs, and yet lose his soul? His healings were not just about physical uh, restoration or comfort in this life, but they were always pointing to something bigger, deeper, and more eternal. Last couple of weeks, as we mentioned, we're going to see a shift in the people people coming to see Jesus, people coming inquisitive and searching, wondering, desiring to know who this man is, it's now changing to hostile opposition. It's going to lead to persecution and, and plans and attempts to kill Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, let's open up to John chapter 5, verse 19 and read our text, continuing on. The story of the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda will continue on here in verse 19. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they have honored the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from dead, from death to life. Truly, truly, okay, he says it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, praise God. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who hear, uh, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray before we do anything else this morning. God, I pray that we would hear your voice. God, if there are those in this room that are walking in darkness, that are still bound by sin. God, today I pray that they would hear the, whole, the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, that they would receive the testimony of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And God, that they would live. That they would find themselves no longer under the judgment of God. 
that they would find themselves in eternal life. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Change us today to the glory of Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text today in verse 19, Jesus is answering the opposition. It starts off and Jesus addresses them. They've got these feelings. They've they've got these attitudes. There's now oppression and, and persecution that is rising up because Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. So let's back up and let's look at those verses just to refresh our memory this morning. It says in verse 16, And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They want to kill Jesus because he's breaking their laws and he's claiming equality with God. Two very, very um, serious offenses when it comes to the Jewish laws. Have you ever seen anything in your kids that is just like you? Parents in here, you ever seen your kids do things that you're like, oh my goodness, that's me. Has it ever been something that's maybe not so becoming? It's not a good trait? I get a little fired up when I watch sports games. I was pretty fired up last night. Our kids were all awake, and uh, they saw Dad, and even Mom, I'll say this, uh, a little fired up. It's a pretty good game last night. But I, more, more, than, more than basketball, even more than uh, baseball, I get pretty fired up when I watch the Green Bay Packers. And uh, so much so that for a lot of years, I never watched a game with church folks, okay? As Pastor Kevin, I, I would always avoid gatherings where we were watching a game today because I tend to yell at the TV. And I don't want you guys to see that necessarily. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not yelling bad words or anything like that, but I do get pretty fired up. Well, one day I had a youth leader meeting. Back when I was doing youth, uh, youth ministry, I had a youth leader meeting at my house. We had lunch together, and we watched the Packer game together, and we're going to do a little youth, a youth leader meeting, and uh, we're watching the game together, and something happened, and I stood up, and I kind of flexed, and I was like, are you kidding me? And Oliver, who was two at the time, he stood up, and he flexed, and he said, are you kidding me? And I thought, oh man, I got to be careful. Because kids pick up everything, don't they? They're like little sponges. They pick up everything from mom and dad. And Jesus, rightly, in this moment says, I picked up everything from dad. Maybe you've learned everything you know from your dad. I know I've got a lot of things in my life, especially now that my dad has passed, where I go, man, I've picked up a lot from my dad, a lot of pretty amazing things I've learned from dad a lot of skills in life, a lot of ways to maybe even interact with people, right? There's, there's times where you see your, your son or your daughter interacting with somebody with confidence and, and with respect, and you're like, oh, man. And you, and you hope that they pick that up from you. Well, Jesus, like an attentive and wise son, he's learned everything from his father, and he does what he does. He is in lockstep, united with his father about his business, about his will because they are one. The Jews are upset because 
Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, that the Father is working and so I am working. He's claiming equality with God and, and he's not backing down from it. He's not backpedaling from it. He's not like, no, 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 don't, mis- don't misunderstand me. He's doubling down on it. He goes into this explanation that what the Father is doing, I am doing. What the Father is about, I'm about. The Father has given me authority. Let's look at our text again. Verse 19 says, So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, and also the Son gives life to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Do you see the unity here? Do you see the oneness here? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, Jesus is in the family business. He does nothing of his own accord, but only what the Father is doing. They are one, and the Father has given him all authority. He only does what he sees the Father doing. The Father loves him and shows him all things, all that he's up to. Verse 20, it says he's going to do greater things. He's going to show him greater things than healing a lame man sitting by a pool for 38 years. And he's going to show him greater things so that you may marvel. That you might see the hand of God and be struck with awe that we serve an amazing, mighty, omnipotent creator God. One who restores, one who heals, one who makes whole that which is broken and you really see the oneness and the authority in verses 21 through 24 uh, 21 through 24 for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life right the father raises the dead he has the power over death and the power to author life and he has given that power and that authority to the son He's given the authority to judge. He's given that to the Son so that all may worship and honor God through the Son just as they worship the Father. And here's the thing. If you don't honor and worship the Son, you're not honoring and worshiping the Father. Can you imagine how hard this would be for a Jew to receive? Somebody in all their life, right, who's looked at the Sabbath a certain way, who's looked at the law a certain way, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he claims equality with God, to claims, to be, claims to be the Messiah, the one who's been promised and foretold for centuries. How hard it would be for them to actually receive this. Jesus is showing that all of the Hebrew people, like all of humanity, all of the Hebrew people and all of humanity, they've been waiting for him, the Messiah. And he is showing them signs, doing miracles, pointing to his power and his authority. 
was looking at verse 24 this week, and I thought, man, this may be one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes the one who sent me, he who sent me, that person has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from dead, from death to life. It says, truly, truly, it says, verily, verily, right, it is true that whoever hears and believes has life eternal. Does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It takes me back to John chapter 1, verse 12, right? It says, whoever receives, whoever believes in his name, he is given the right to become children of God. Whoever receives him, whoever believes, those have passed from judgment, but are now children of God. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you haven't placed your trust in him, when you look at the word uh, for faith, when you look at that Greek word, it's, it's not just a believing like you believe something happened, but there is a, um, we, when we looked at it in the beginning of this, of this series, that there's an actual uh, piece of the definition, definition that would be to cast your life upon someone. When you believe in him, you cast your life upon him. If you haven't placed your faith in him, the judgment of God still rests on you. But if you've placed your faith in him, if you believe in him, that judgment has been placed on Christ and you are free in him. The wrath of God has been absorbed and absolved through Christ. If you've placed your faith in him, you will not drink of the cup of the wrath of God. But if you have not placed your faith in him, that wrath still belongs to you. I implore you today, put your faith in Jesus. Trust in him. Cast your life upon him and receive eternal life. Praise be to God. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, but he, he does not come into judgment, but he has path, passed from death to life. Jesus is not just claiming the authority of God. He's not just claiming to be one with him, being equal with the Father as the Son, which rightly would be a condemnable offense, as we said. If a mere man claims that he is equal with God, he is stoned. He is put to death for that uh, blasphemy. But Jesus is the Messiah, and he is asserting his authority by choosing to heal a man and choosing to heal a man on a certain day. You see, when you look at Jesus, he, like, Jesus could have waited until Monday to heal that guy. You ever look at it and go, man, he just, it almost feels like he's just being a little bit rebellious. He just wants to shake things up. So he's going to heal a guy and tell him to rise up and take him. Like, you can't carry your bed around. You can't carry your mat around on the Sabbath day. Why didn't Jesus just wait a little bit? Our text Right? Is Jesus explaining 
why he healed a man on the Sabbath and telling him that as the Father is working, so he is working as well. And the Sabbath is a big deal. It is a big deal, right? It's one of the big ten. It came down from the mountain. Moses brought it down with them. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. It is a big deal. And I asked my community group this last week, why is it a big deal? And, and I, of course, you can just go to, because God said so, right? Of course, you can go there, right? But I, I feel like for a lot of years, especially growing up, I didn't understand why it was a big deal. I just knew that, Jesus, like, that God worked hard in creation, and then he rested on the seventh day, and that we too should rest. Like, we too need a, a day of rest. God worked hard, we worked hard six days a week, okay, then we got one day off. Make sure you rest. Make sure you honor it, keep it holy by doing nothing. I don't think I understood it fully for a lot of years of my life. It is a big deal. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Anybody growing up, the Sabbath day, like the Sabbath was like Sunday, the Lord's day was a big, that was a big deal in your house? Like I remember growing up, my mom's not in the room today, so I feel like I can share this story. Um, Growing up, my mom made made Sundays a big deal. It was the Lord's day. That was our Sabbath. Right, really, it's supposed to be Saturday, right? And the Sabbath, Sabbath is actually, but it's fine. In our church culture, this is what it is. It's our Sabbath. And my mom, like, I remember my friends going to the mall after church to hang out when I was a high school student. And I was like, I wanted to go to the mall and hang out with them. But my mom wouldn't let me go to the mall and hang out with them because there were workers at the mall that were forced to work on Sunday. Of course, Chick-fil-A wasn't open, but Steak Escape was, right? You could go to Steak, like, but my mom didn't want me going out to the mall because I was making all those people work on the Sabbath, okay? It was a big deal in our house. Those unholy gap workers, those holy Chick-fil-A workers. We need to understand why the Sabbath is holy. So often we treat it as just we need a day off because we work so hard. We need rest, right? To honor him, we go fishing or golfing or gardening. But then that seems a little bit like work. So can we garden on the Sabbath? I'm not sure. And sometimes we just resolve to God said so. And and that's our best answer. And that in and of itself is the perfect answer, actually. But we need to remember that the gospel, in the gospels, Jesus said that all of scriptures are about him. We'll look at that over the next couple of weeks. All of scripture is about him, his work. It's about him and his work. It's about his doing and how he's fulfilling all the Old Testament scriptures and all the law. So let's let Jesus and scripture help us understand the Sabbath. And so when you go back to Genesis 1, right, I think you guys remember this, in creation, God created the world in six days and he said that it was what? Good. He created each day, creates this, and he says that it's good. Creates this and declares that it's good. He creates man and he declares that it's very good, that we are very good. 
And so he finishes in six days. And he looks over his creation. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no hurt. It's all done, pure, right, and he rests. But then something happens. Two chapters later, something pretty bad happens. Sin enters the world, and everything is broken. Have you ever cleaned the house? You've got small kids, and you clean the house, and it's like perfect, and it's all clean, and it's all pristine, and all the smudges on the windows are gone, and everything there, but you got small kids, so it lasts about that long, right? And then you just think to yourself, oh, why did it even bother, right? I wonder if God thought that. He's like, everything's perfect, everything's whatever, and all of a sudden, two chapters later, sin enters the world. Death enters the world. Relationships between people are broken. You've got Cain and Abel, right? Brothers, the first bro fight. Relationship with God is broken, right? Sin enters the world. Man is filled with shame. And what does man do? Runs and hides. Is that not us? In our sin, we run and hide, but yet we have this beautiful pursuing God saying, hey, where are you going? I'm here to clothe you. I'm here to clothe you. I'm here to cover you. I'm here to cover that shame. God creates the world. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. Everything is right without sin. Sin enters the world and breaks it all. It's all broken. So God gets back to work. Do you realize that? God gets back to work. And it's been working every day since. Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. Yes, even on Saturdays, the Sabbath. God has been at work from then till now. Jesus comes on the scene, right? Uh, let's see, where am I in our text here today? Verse 14 of our text from last week. It says, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to the man, okay, the man who he healed, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So he snitched on him. <laughs> and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered, my father is working until now and I am working. Sin entered the world. He's been working He's been working and working. And, and, and I'm not sure why it took so many years for Jesus to come on the scene, but Jesus comes on the scene and dies a brutal death, cleanses and atones for all of our sin, all of our shame, covers us and puts us back in right relationship with God. He is working. It is bigger than just a healing, but it is a beautiful picture of his restorative power that the Father is working, the Son is working to redeem mankind. And God commands, remember this day, remember the Sabbath, keep it, make it holy. Why? Not just because you need a day off from all your hard work, because it's a picture of something deeper, something greater, and something eternal. We have a rest that is only found in Christ Jesus. We will one day enter into his rest for all eternity if you are found in him, and I can't 
wait. You ever had a day where you just like were free of stress and like free of work and had to do stuff and you just felt light? <sighs> Those days are rare <laughs> because this world is broken. But when I get those little glimpses, I go, oh man, heaven's going to be way, way more intense than this beautiful rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says this. If you want to help the Old Testament make sense to you, read Hebrews, okay? Hebrews is a great book to bridge the two together. You can see what Christ did in fulfilling the Old Testament Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Remember, there's a lot of hearing and receiving that we've uh, already talked about in, in John. Verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So God created the world in six days, and it was good, and it was right, and it was pure, and it was perfect and sin messed it all up and he's been working ever since revealing his glory and gathering his people to himself revealing the good news of jesus the one who would be the messiah the savior of the world the one whose blood would cover and atone and cleanse every sin he's been working sending Jesus to be our righteousness. He's been working, sending Jesus to pay the price of sin and to be that beautiful atonement that whoever believes and receives him as Lord has eternal life and will enter into his eternal Sabbath rest. Your Sunday is to be holy unto God, not because you just need a day off, but because Jesus paid it all and declared that it's finished and we have entered into his rest. It's not just this rebellious flex that Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, right? It's not that Jesus is just standing back and going, you know that law that you follow? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? I was there on the mountain in the thunder and the lightning. I was there in the beginning, the eternal word. I gave those commands to Moses for my people. It wasn't just this flex of his godness, but it's this beautiful picture of our eternal rest, our eternal redemption, our eternal restoration. 
I don't know if I could think of a more appropriate day to heal anybody, but on the Sabbath. The Jews had a problem with it. But like I said, I, I don't know if I could pick a more perfect day to heal and restore and call a man to repentance who's been afflicted for 38 years than on a Sabbath day. That's a beautiful picture of what awaits us. Church, this morning, if you're in this room and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, God's judgment is still yours. I don't mean to scare you. I don't, I don't want to threaten you. I don't want you to be scared to him, but I just want you to understand the gravity of the situation. If you have not placed your faith in your trust in Christ, his judgment and his wrath is still on you. But those who have received him, those who have believed in him, they have passed from death to life and they're now no longer under the judgment of God. If you are in this room and you have done that and you are a believer, there is reason to worship and rejoice. That is a work that is only done in Christ Jesus. It was not done in you. It was not because of your goodness or because you learned something or figured something out. It was God in his mercy pursuing you. What a beautiful thing. So this morning, understand the Sabbath rest that we enter into in Christ Jesus and rejoice. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us in a song here in just a moment. But if you're in this place today and you say, Pastor Kevin, I, I have not put my faith in Christ Jesus, or maybe you've been running and rebelling and, and running from God, and today you know, you sense the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart that you must turn and follow him, place your faith back in him and no longer run. If that's you in this place and you want to make that declaration, I place my faith in Christ Jesus I would love for you to acknowledge that and for me to be able to pray with you, pray for you. Um, it just if you do, please make that declaration by looking up and catching my eye. Just look up and catch my eye today, and I want to be able to pray with you before we leave. Pray for you before we leave. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Praise God. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that today... They place their faith and their trust in you. And I thank you that your word is true, that those who make that declaration, that place their faith, their trust, their life into your hands, that they pass from death to life. That they are no longer under judgment in Christ. You have all authority to judge. But you went to the cross to pay for our sin. Your, your blood atones once and for all and your work truly is finished. We thank you, God, for that, that it is sufficient and full and complete. So God, today we place our faith and our trust in you again. God, for the rest of us, for everyone in this room, God, that declares that you are God, that declares that you are Lord, that have placed their faith and trust in you, God, today, 
we thank you that we have an eternal rest awaiting us. No more toil, no more pain, no more hurt, no more death, no more um, affliction and disease. But we enter into that rest. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to be mindful of our eternal home. Help us to be mindful of that, to be filled with joy, to be filled with, with hope. God, as we walk through this life, as we journey through this life, as we are sojourners passing through this life with heaven on our mind, with our eternal home, on our, our eternal rest on our mind, God, let us be filled with joy even in the midst of struggle and trial. Let us live with eternity at heart, not to ourselves, but to the glory of Christ Jesus, engaging in your mission, engaging in your gospel, to the glory of Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's worship together before we go. And I want you to really worship, okay, in the reality of the Sabbath rest and the reality of our eternal hope. Worshiping God this morning.